0: Today, as you all know, is Ash Wednesday, that uh, beginning of Lent, which is a, our approximately 40-day period before uh, Easter, where we prepare for Easter, that greatest of our feasts, the greatest of our feasts, Father Marcus, <laughs> by, um, by, by repentance and fasting, almsgiving, prayer, and just generally doing good things, doing good works. So following the lead from uh, some of the great Christian teachers throughout the ages, and especially our own Reformation-era book of homilies, I'd like us to consider good works in general and fasting in particular tonight. So earlier this week, many of us began to read St. Paul's epistle from the Ephesians as part of our uh, morning prayer New Testament readings, our morning, our morning prayer lessons. So if you're following that all the way through the Bible in the year, uh, lectionary that we have in the back, uh, we began Ephesians. And last night's reading, in that reading, the apostle gave us this exhortation. This is what he said. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that's a good reminder that as we head into Lent, we Christians ought to be doing good things. We ought to be doing good works, even like our Lord Jesus did when he walked the earth. And Lent really is a good time to intensify the kinds of things that we Christians are called to do, really the things we're called to do all the time. Fasting and prayer, repentance, and all the like are supposed to be part of our regular Christian walk. But Lent is a really good time to focus on this a little bit more. But remember that we are not supposed to trust in our good works to redeem us or to save us. We don't make God like us any better by being obedient children. We don't change his mind about anything. There are no brownie points with God. There's no extra credit with the Lord. Our good works are in Christ Jesus, as St. Paul said, because it's Christ's blood that makes our works good. And it's his spirit that enables them in the first place. Our salvation, as St. Paul tells us, is by grace, not by our good works. It's only by Christ's blood by Christ's sacrifice, once offered as we pray in the communion service, that we are made righteous before God. St. Augustine writes this. He wrote, Grace belongeth to God who doth call us, and then hath he good works whosoever received grace. So you get good works if you've already received grace. Good works then bring not forth grace, but are brought forth by grace. The wheel turneth round, not to the end that it may be made round, But because it is first made round, then the wheel turneth round. So man doeth good works to receive grace. So no man doeth good works to receive grace by his good works. But because he hath first received grace, therefore consequently he doeth good works. And, And that's really important to point home because it's real easy to fall into at this time of year, this kind of superstitious approach to our good works to our fasting. You know, this is the way we get extra credit with God, and that just is not the way it works. That's not the gospel. But fasting is the main good work that we discussed in today's readings, and it's the primary theme of Ash Wednesday, right? It's one of those two days in our prayer book that are are specified as public days of fasting, complete fasting in the book of Common Prayer. So when we look at good works, we can see that some good works, such as loving God or loving our neighbor, are inherently good in of themselves. Loving God for the sake of loving God is good, right? Loving your neighbor for the sake of loving your neighbor is always good. But other good works are in of themselves indifferent, but they can either be good or evil depending on how they're used. And fasting is this sort of thing. So if we think that by fasting we will earn heaven, fasting is actually a bad work because we're trusting in it rather than in Christ. Anything that we trust in rather than Christ for our salvation is by definition an idol. An example of this in the scriptures is the parable that our Lord told us of the Pharisee and the publican. If you remember the parable, the Pharisee was proud before God, and this is what he said. He was at the temple and he prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. And there is no evidence to say that he's wrong in what he's saying, by the way. He seems on the outside to be a pretty good guy, and the law does not even require him to fast twice a week. He's doing this over and above what the law requires. But the tax collector, on the other hand, he wouldn't even look up to heaven, and he could only pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, what Jesus said is that the tax collector went away justified, but the Pharisee was not. And St. Luke tells us at the beginning of that gospel passage that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Don't be that guy. In our gospel reading this evening, Jesus warns us not to fast like a hypocrite. And this doesn't mean that it's wrong to have ashes on our heads. This doesn't mean that it's wrong to divulge what you're giving up for Lent. In fact, that might help your brothers kind of figure out what they ought to be doing at Lent or might help them keep you on track, right? And it's not wrong to, to decline to join your friend for that steak dinner because you're fasting. You know, to tell your friend, I can't join you, I'm fasting. That's okay. But our, but our gospel reading does speak to the state of our hearts. If we're doing these things to be seen by others, our fasting becomes evil. It does us no good, and it actually puts us in a bad place, spiritually speaking. Similarly, if we fast just for the sake of fasting, if we observe Lent just because that's what Anglicans or Catholics or Lutherans or Orthodox, that's what we do, our fasting does us no good. Fasting without repentance is just another form of spiritual hypocrisy. And we see in the Old Testament especially, Israel often falls into this pattern, just going through the religious motions. In the beginning of the book of Isaiah, in the very first chapter, God says of that situation in Israel, he says, Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. I want you to repent. By contrast, we see in scripture that fasting is supposed to be part of our repentance. It's supposed to help us in that change of hearts. And so in our fourth epistle reading from the prophet Joel, this is what we read. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Returning to God is the essence of repentance. In fact, that's what the very word means in the Hebrew of the Old Testament. It means to turn around and, by implication, turn to God. When our fasting begins in repentance, reflecting the state of our hearts, we can know that it is indeed a good work and that it's for good purposes. So scripture gives us three reasons why we ought to fast. First, We see that fasting disciplines our flesh. It teaches us that our belly, and by extension all of our passions, any of our passions, are not in charge. St. Paul tells us that this is why he fasted. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified." Secondly, we see that fasting can help us to be more focused when we're in a time of prayer. And in the book of Acts, this happens several times when the prophets or the other leaders of the church will fast during their time of prayer before sending out someone or starting out on a new missionary uh, effort. They wanted to be sure that they were indeed hearing from the Holy Spirit. And so part of what they did was they fasted. Third, our fatness, our fasting, (laughs) fatness, goodness, that's that's something else altogether, right? (laughs) We are in San Antonio after all. Um, (laughs) Third, our fasting can be a witness of our repentance, as we see in the book of of Jonah when the people of Nineveh fasted, or when King David fasted in the book of Samuel when they were confronted with their sins. Their fasting was a sign. It was proof of their repentance, showing that the physical discomfort brought on by fasting matched the inward discomfort of a person who has come face to face with the sinfulness of our sins. So again, these things are supposed to be part of everyday Christian living. We we should be repentant. We should be fervent in prayer. We should be self-controlled and disciplined. And the church has given us this season of Lent to help us put these things in focus. Not so that we would earn God's favor by our good works, but so that our good works would reflect who we really are in Christ. We're redeemed people who have been brought into new life as new creatures by the Holy Spirit because of the blood of Christ. And so I'm going to close our our homily this evening with a prayer that is from the homily on fasting from that second book of homilies. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy upon us and give us grace that while we live in this miserable world, we may through thy help bring forth for this and such other fruits of the spirit, commended and commanded in thy holy word to the glory of thy name and to our comforts that after the race of this wretched life we may live everlastingly with thee in thy heavenly kingdom, not for the merits and worthiness of our works, but for thy mercies' sake and for the merits of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, to whom with thee and the Holy Ghost be all laud, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God is not unrighteous that he will forget your works and labor that proceedeth of love, which love ye have showed for his name's sake, who have ministered unto the saints and yet do minister.